Should we start? Hello. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know you were going to start. <laughs> I wasn't. I was just. <laughs> I, I was just asking, should we start? And so I was, I was fixing like a yes or no. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, okay let's, here we go. This is episode seven. Eight. Including the Halloween episode or not including the Halloween Seven or eight. Including the Halloween episode. All right, we're back. That's right. Your ears do not deceive you. The Liquid Courage podcast has returned. Um, I kind of feel like I owe everyone an explanation because I was telling people on the Guild Sum forum that a new episode was going to come out like a week after the Halloween one did. And here's the deal. We did record another episode and it was terrible. <laughs> what a train wreck. It didn't come together. It was coupled with the holiday season and usually everyone's off during the holiday season. But as all of you know, we're all working. So it, it just felt better to take a longer break. But today's episode is all about discussing trends that we want to do or um, trends that we want to take off in 2021. We were kind of debating on reflecting back on 2020, but everyone was doing that. So we decided to go a more positive route and talk about some things we want uh, to, to take off. So does anyone have anything to say before we start? I, I do. I, I have people lined up who will pay for the unedited, uh, unreleased version <laughs> of the last podcast. No. <laughs> I think it is. Jeffers, I've got people who will pay me not to hear that episode. <laughs> Oh, man, I have just people seething at some of the dumb shit that I told them that you guys said. Oh, my God. You mean what I said, essentially. <laughs> well, no, I think there were a lot of times that Troy agreed with you. I'm glad I'm not in anyone's crosshairs. Because <laughs> you didn't have an opinion. Hey. <laughs> he went in pretty good last time. I think that's the reason that you're really keeping I, him I down. I completely don't remember. Yeah, you you are right though. Maybe we'll talk about this as one of the trends I want to speak about. Um, I got in an like a non argument with a guest last night oh. regarding champagne regarding champagne flutes because we pour them in white wine glasses, and um, I had no opinion for the guy, but he still wanted to argue with me, and I was like, all right, I got to walk away from this guy. So did you get him a flute? Yeah, he wanted a flute. He said that uh, white wine glasses isn't a thing. He's been to New York. He's been to California. Nobody's doing it. He was saying that we were using he, – he assumed that our – he was sitting at the bar. He assumed that a bartender was just trying to be lazy and didn't want to go get a champagne flute. And so I had to assure him that that's our standard, and it was it was a really interesting conversation. He was really triggered by it, and uh, he was asking me how I felt about it. and I said you can drink whatever wine out of whatever you want. I don't have any strong opinions about it. I just want you to be happy. And it didn't seem to uh, sue them. I think he just wanted me to disagree. I just want everyone your, to be happy. Your, your desire to make him happy made him unhappy. He was already unhappy. But uh, yeah, it didn't help. I tried. That's all you can do, you know. Oh, oh that, speaking of tasting wine, in addition to talking about um, trends, I have a tasting for all of the guys. I bought them each a Christmas gift, if you will. And they have the bottles with them. They're blind. Uh, they don't know what they are. So we're going to get into that in the latter half of the episode, too. So 
Is Jack my Webber. bottle still of an enclosure or is it corkscrew? And why don't you look? Right, I think the wrapping is my favorite part. It's, yeah, you stay <laughs> with this brown bag. Uh, at least, Troy, yours doesn't say SB on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So did I grab the wrong bag? You oh, did. Mine says no. SB. No one's going to get that reference. <laughs> anyway. Well, um, it, lets you, it lets you know which wine is Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, yeah, that's what that means. All right. Um, so should we get started? I think that we should each just read our trends and then we can make fun of each other accordingly. <laughs> Daniel, did you want to start? Fun story about Daniel. We were supposed to start at 9 a.m. Daniel's nowhere to be found. And so we call him. He's on his way to Starbucks because he got the, the start time wrong. And yeah, I have nothing prepared. Well, now I have three lines prepared. Okay. They're completely myopic. Uh, so they, they really have nothing to do. Well, actually, not all three. So the first one is, is probably something everyone's going to touch on. And that's a return to some form of normalcy. Um, Boring. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> is that a trend <laughs> all right well we're gonna skip that one the only one i have i was reading last night i was trying to prepare during service and um i was reading trends about 2021 and everyone's writing the same things they're talking about pink prosecco which i'm not terribly interested in um the only one that really caught my eye was the wine seltzer movement uh, i guess people are trying to compete with hard seltzers and i'm personally a fan of hard seltzers i think they're delicious and i don't want them to change and i i would be less inclined to buy a wine seltzer than i am a, a white cloth wait wait a minute Daniel. Man, your, i feel like that one would benefit in a flute your first trend is to bring back wine coolers no it's to, it is actually to it's actually a trend i don't want to see take off okay i think you misunderstood the assignment i think you misunderstood my level of unpreparation Okay, let's start with Troy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I'm half asleep right now. That's cool. You can drink coffee well. This is just <laughs> great Troy content can... right here. I know, this is really awesome. We're going to take, start. We're gonna have to take this all out. Oh, God. <clears throat> Troy, why don't you, yeah. why don't you go ahead? <laughs> so just bridging into my, my list here, the, actually the first one was two end flutes. <laughs> really? <laughs> I wish I was making that oh up. It's at the top of the list. Yes. You're welcome. So yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, to to end flutes. Um, I don't think they do anything for the wine. They're just tapering off flavor. Sure, you got bubbles, but if you want bubbles, drink something else, right? Um, but if you want flavor, drink champagne. I totally back that. Uh, number two. Uh, this one's a little bit more whimsical for myself, but I'd like to see the um, the exploration of the Timorasso grape out of Piedmont. Ooh. It's gaining a little bit of popularity and notoriety. Uh, I recently had one by La Spinetta, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I think it'd be cool to see that grape develop. Um, again, I know it's abstract. I know it's never going to go mainstream, but that's kind of like the geeky Sami thing in me. Um, for those who haven't had it, uh, it kind of reminded me of a cross between like a Certico and Riesling. So elevated acid, it had elevated structure. There's phenolic bitterness. Um, it had a little bit of TDN, um, but it was just a really fun kind of mineral driven wine, really food friendly. And I think it's got potential for, uh, for ageability. Um, 
beyond that, I think it'd be cool to uh, to see some more celebrity wines. Um, this is where I get, I think, a little bit more serious. 2020 was obviously a uh, a pretty bad year for, for wine in general. Um, I think if you combined celebrity wine, and I think if we went to more quality producers going to can wine, it would make the entire category more approachable. And I understand that could offend and upset a lot of people. I'm okay with that. The wine sales of 2020, I, I think a lot of people agree, were pretty horrific uh, for a lot of reasons. So anything that we can do to jumpstart that um, would be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm totally pro can. I'm all about cans. Um, I don't know how many that was, but I'll just throw one more in there. <laughs> I like what Bordeaux's doing as of 2020, where they added a whole new set of grapes that are allowable. Yes, Tariga Nacional. Um, yes yeah. and then a bunch of ones that i can't pronounce <laughs> yeah a lot of portuguese grapes mm-hmm. um but I, I think they should keep experimenting and expanding um allowability of new grapes in different eu regions that's okay can i ask you a question about that ben shoot aren't you worried then if they just start loosening all of these i mean France is a great example where, I mean, it's kind of like a Psalms wet dream where there are all these regulations and there's, uh, um, especially at the AOC level, consistent style and alcohol percentages and yield percentages. So you kind of know what you're getting. If you start loosening up those restrictions, then don't you think it's going to be harder to blind taste? I already think it's hard to blind taste. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, um, I mean, obviously I'm being a little bit facetious, but. No, I mean, because there there's certain things that make a region or a place testable and adding new grapes to it isn't really going to change much of that. I think people want to keep some consistency of their brand, right? I mean, people have worked really hard to keep some of those regions, some of those AOCs of a certain expectation. That's a marketing thing as much as it is a wine thing. I don't think... Sure, gonna, it absolutely is. You're not going to make a wine that's from Bordeaux that's 100% Tariga Nationale. I mean, nobody wants underripe battery acid. Oh my gosh. Um, Well, I was reading an article about that and they were saying the push for that was climate change. Yeah, I I mean, even a couple years ago in Bordeaux, you saw the resurgence, I guess, is a kind of a strong word of, but people using Carmenere again because they feel like it's a hedge against climate change. Yeah. Cool. Cool moves in Bordeaux. I'm excited about the cans. You kind of, sh- if so in a, in a conversation maybe a week ago, Troy, you were a little anti-can or maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I was, but I'm just kind of blown with the wind right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you referenced Las Benetta because I heard they make a really great barrel-aged Barbera. goes great with Asian food. I had a skin contact Timorosa. Timoroso before I came back to school and it was how was it it was good it was good I I think I'd like to have the grape and you know without extended skin contact so I can really understand its character because I like how you described that um but I mean I liked it a lot I had it with a bunch of uh vegetables and great food so it was good yeah, nice. it's expensive but it was good um yeah okay should I go Okay. Um, my first one is that I want people to 
okay, so a two top goes out to dinner, right? They are going to get a bottle of wine. I want more people to choose sparkling wine as that bottle of wine that's going to carry them throughout the whole meal. Yeah, I dig that. Okay, so how do we make that happen as wine proposals? Okay, see, Troy didn't get a question like that. <laughs> no, I'm trying to. I'm not putting no, you on the um, spot. Again. No, he, he's talking just logistic. Like, yeah, so, it's a great so idea. Here, here's I love the, it. I, I think having more affordable uh, sparkling wines, having more Cremants, uh, having more um, domestic sparkling wines, more Prosecco maybe, a higher quality Prosecco. Um, I think just the affordability of it, and then also a lot of its salesmanship too, and then having a wide range of sparkling wines. I think that that's the way to do it. You have to have someone hand-selling that. Because the average consumer immediately ties it to celebration or I'm just having a glass at the beginning of the meal. And you know what I think is really helping? Pet Knot. I think more people are getting a bottle Laura, of Laura, I've heard you tell a lot of jokes, but I've, I've never heard them that good. <laughs> well, I don't know if people fully see it as traditional sparkling wine. And, you know, I think maybe you can ease people into with, I don't know, Vino Verde and something that's maybe slightly effervescent. And I think you've been living in California for too long if you think people are drinking Pet Nat. Uh, people are drinking Pet Nat. People are drinking Pet Nat all over the country. I'm sorry, I'm not old. But are I you do. talking about coastal cities? I'm talking about where we all live. It's true. I mean, clearly you're not pouring them at these, you know, steakhouses and country clubs right but i mean think about what's really taking off for young drinkers pet not is huge no i i I think that you're living under a rock if you don't think pet not's taking off over the all over the country and and even in other markets too in other countries so love everything about this topic but i think there's things that that's why i was asking like what can we do to facilitate it because i do think it's a great idea i would love to see it but as wine professionals i think there's things that we need to do yeah, I don't know how you break that that stigma because I mean the Champenois really they they were brilliant in marketing in the sense that they got champagne into all of these places where people are celebrating and it was the drink of the rich, but now it's like you're kind of boxed in a little bit and you know it, Unless it, you it put that all, in a can, I'm not drinking it. It affects all sparkling wine, right? I mean kind of the moves of of champagne because I can't tell you the amount of times that someone's called Prosecco champagne or called domestic sparkling champagne and you know they don't really see the difference it's interesting but not in a can not a bad idea it's gonna have to be a sturdy can (laughs) okay my next one this one might get a little heat i want people to start drinking more sake outside of japanese restaurants no heat no heat (laughs) No heat. I want sake to be featured on maybe an Italian menu. Maybe I'm gonna go a back to table restaurant. I'm gonna go back to our episode where knew, you would have fully this banned that idea because it's I knew this was coming. any kind of what did you call it? Integ- any kind of integrity? I said conceptual integrity, but hear me out, right? Sake sake is a category just like wine is a category right and you can find french wine on an italian menu you can find italian wine at a farm to table restaurant right so i i think sake has a lot of work to do 
as breaking the mold out of this can only go with Japanese food or it can only go with Asian fusion what have you but I I, I would like to see sake as a category um, be more like wine in the sense that it's it's a little bit more versatile because I, I think the pairing capabilities of sake even though it's generally much lower in acid is pretty wide have you I, full disclosure i've never really been a big, big fan of sake the only time i really enjoy it is like when i slam my fist on the table and the shot goes into my beer glass before <laughs> oh i chug God. it i just the, the flavor of it is just something that I, i've never come around to i thought daniel was gonna be weird in this episode but it turns out it's <laughs> 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 I'm just I'm just sitting in the background at this point. I love that one too because for French preparations of scallops, I think like a dry sake is amazing pairing. So yeah, I I think that there's so much to like about sake. I mean, some of the cleaner ones, uh, you know, I think would really take off. And yeah, so. I, I think that would be exciting for sake as a category. They have to work on their labeling. They have to work on their branding if they want to diversify like that. But I think they can do it. I believe in it as a category. And, you know, I had sparkling sake for the first time. That shit's delicious. It's really good. So. I wonder if, you. you know, I just don't have much exposure to it in this market. So I, yeah. I feel... You know, it, I haven't had one that's blown my mind, and I haven't really gone out of the way to 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 search it out. So, well, that, if you want to put that, one in a brown bag and send it to me for the next episode? I'd love to try it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's the problem is when exposure sommeliers are curating their wine lists. Mm -hmm. I mean, because arguably sake is process wise, it's more comparable to beer, but finished product wise, it's more comparable to wine. Mm -hmm. They don't really think to include it. But, I mean, you'll have wines from all around the world, but why not a rice wine from Japan? I don't know. Right. There is a well, distributor I, in our market that will put together a class for your restaurant for a pretty reasonable price. Yeah. I, well, you have to get consumers. Well, I just wonder if sake too. has this. Yeah, and I just wonder if sake has a, a real place on our, our wine list, you know? I mean, but and that's, it, but and that's, that's a... Yeah, but I think also the other side of the token is we're our, ah, it's, I, I don't The, the I question, don't know. Daniel, is why do you feel it won't have a place? Is it because it's too culturally tied to Japanese food and you don't serve Japanese food? Or is it because you don't well, think it would go with anything on the menu? Because those are two well, different things. The first one, I, I, I don't think it's because of the pairing capabilities. That's obviously, you know, not sure they can pair with whatever. This is effectively the question I'd be asking is, is it worth, is, is it worth pushing the sake train when it's, it's fighting an uphill battle in a restaurant like the one I work in? You know, it's like, I'm already, I'm already in a situation where, where we're pigeonholed into selling predominantly Napa Cab in, in Bordeaux. Right. Right. So like taking something so foreign to, to this market and representing it in that way. It, it just seems like I could spend my time, uh, you know, I, I would rather spend my time pushing people towards sparkling, if that makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't mean we shouldn't yeah. have those options. I, I just think in my specific environment, it doesn't, it, it makes less sense than, than sparkling and sparkling already. As you, as you heard, I, I had an argument with a, a man last night. I don't want to say argument. He thought it was an argument, but, um, 
Yeah, I, I support you. I think in most restaurants, if there's restaurants where people are going for that type of experience, go for it. But um, I don't think my restaurant is that one. There's another practical question that I have about sake and I'm completely ignorant to it. What's the uh, ageability of sake? Not, not very much because it, it, it lacks a natural acidity. Um, so, I mean, I'm, some of these higher quality producers, yes, you can have very ageable sake, but generally it's, it's not designed to age. Certainly not in the way that wine is. I mean, it doesn't have any malic acid at all. So it's, it's, it's like beer in the sense that the younger, the better, right? Um, well, not all. Like the it's fresher. a little bit more complex than that, but yes, I, I think if you're speaking very generally, I, yes, very generally, right? Yeah. So, the restaurant that Daniel and I work in, that would also be a concern about purchasing something that you couldn't turn over. Where Daniel's talking about putting efforts into something else, um, the restaurant that I worked at previously, there was some sake options on the menu. I'd worked there for four years. And not only the restaurant that I worked at, but the other two in the area under the same umbrella had never sold a bottle of sake. And it was a Junmai Daiginjo. Um, I can't remember the producer, but in that style of restaurant, it's like they're just sitting there. Yeah. yeah. I think that's just an operations call. And this is a restaurant that sold sushi too. Right. And just nobody was interested in it. I think right. it's more I want to see – sake as a category work on work on making it feel less foreign because i, yeah, I feel well, I like think... flavor profile wise it has a lot of potential i mean it's taking off in these like coastal areas but um i think that it has a lot of serious potential in the u.s so. yeah i think it, it requires a sort of trailblazing figure in the in the community to like open up a sake bar you know, and we're really going to find a Paul Greco of sake. Yeah. <laughs> Effectively, yeah, I think you do. You need to have someone create a space that, you know, at least in this market, that is super sexy and so fun and everyone wants to be there and that's their shtick, you know, and then they can, cr they can change the landscape of thought and then maybe in the market, people will go out and expect uh, quality sake on other restaurants menus, just as uh, happenstance, really. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't think I'm the guy that's going to – Oh well, I think we all know I'm not the guy that's going to be moving that trend. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hurdles that it has to jump as far as labeling yeah. and names and, you know, do you differentiate different types of rice strains and terroir and water? It's, I don't know. That's just a – it's just a dream of mine, I think. Uh, next is okay, – I might get heat for this too. I want to see more domestic wines from other states other than California, Washington, and Oregon be available in major markets. So I'd really like to see um, more New York wines available across the country, more Michigan wines, and then maybe more Arizona, just and, you know, Idaho wines that are coming from these lesser producing states. I know that they're not making large quantities. But potato wine? I, oh my God, yeah, potato wine. <laughs> I'd really like to see those get Yeah, uh, representation. Promoted. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, but I mean, I also, as a SOM, I'm not going to buy 20 cases of Norton to put on my, my wine list. So 
Right. Maybe they need to start figuring out varietally what works in these states. I just want more, more invested in each of these states as far as viticulture so that we can start having more competition with California and Oregon and Washington. Well, I think, I think you just came back to the, the point is that there needs to be more consistent quality yeah. and differentiation in these regions than there currently is. I mean, New York needs to stop making fucking Cabernet. You cannot ripen it. There's like one square mile in like southeastern New York where Cabernet will ripen and everywhere else it won't. But if people keep trying to hammer it down and, you know, uber sweet uh, chaptalized Riesling is not a thing. So I'm- in addition to Chris's point, you, you've got to make these wines priced competitively to mm-hmm. entice people to even want to purchase them. You can't make a $70 bottle of Barbera in Arizona expect it to sell when you've got $40 California <laughs> That Cabernet. was a direct shot. I will take that on the chair. I, it, listen, it's my fault. I, I, I take responsibility for that. I understand that there's a lot of costs involved and there's a lot of investment to get these vineyards planted and the people that are, I, I understand all that. But if you're going to want people to purchase these wines on a larger scale, the pricing has to be more accessible. I don't have that answer. I'm just, I'm saying there's too much competition out there from these other states and the familiarity that's already established with them to make a, yeah. Well, the other side of that, the token is what scale are these producers really putting out? I mean, and do they have the ambitions to put out Seventy dollar Barbera in that way, or are they just trying to to touch a niche market and put out a really high quality wine? And the people who are already supporting their brand will recognize it's worth the money, or at least it will be worth. Well, it. they need the distribution. That's that's well, too, but but that's viable. T- but along with the distribution, you're also you know if you're planning to put your wines in all fifty states, you need to have enough wine to sell. And if you're Right. You know, the producer we're talking about, which won't be named unless they are named later, I, I, I would find it, I would, I think they'd be hard pressed to put out that volume of juice. You know what I mean? I, I, no, let's, I mean, let's call it, it's, it's Caduceus, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, let's, let's be honest about what we're talking about here, but I don't, I, I'm not trying to paint the picture that Caduceus is trying to make a mass, I'm, um, right. a mass barbera that's $70, but I'm talking about the context of, of Laura's point that if you are going to have these states that are making yeah. wine that compete with California, we're talking about producers that are making wine in that capacity. Now, Caduceus could be, you know, hey, we're a boutique winery. We're only going to yeah. make this amount of wine because this is what our beliefs are. And that's fine, too. But I'm just saying that if you're going to be competitive you and you're going to make a lot of wine, that can't be priced that way. And it- Here's here's how I think these other states can do it outside of you all bring up amazing points, right? They need to seriously invest in viticultural research. They need to lower their price point. They need to gain distribution, all these different things. Um, I, I think Wine Australia is a great example and like Oregon Pinot Camp too. You need to get wine professionals from around the country to your space to meet your producers, taste what you're doing. And then that's how you're going to get distribution into these other states. Right, because that, you need wine professionals demanding it, so they can put it on their list and then sell it to yeah. their consumers. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I'd love to see Maryland, I'd love to see Michigan or Arizona do some sort of 
SOM camp or, or whatever. Uh, you know, California, tons of regions do a great job of holding events like that. And so, I mean, of course, those things take a lot of, of money, right? And so if you don't necessarily have the capital, it's not a smart idea. But I, I, I want there to be competition for California and Oregon and Washington. I, I think it would only benefit the market. More competition, the better. You need to have another judgment of Paris moment for one of these right. unsung places. Right. Because, I mean, we could sit here, everyone's going to think that we're effing crazy, right? But there is some really good Arizona wine. And people think I'm totally nuts when I say that when I'm in California. Man, I, I hope one York. of those bottles is in this bag, Laura. <laughs> but I, I think I all those things you're saying need to be precluded by a, either quality or differentiation being increased. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like you can't invite a bunch of people to come to Michigan and then pour them shit blueberry wine. Well, right, exactly. But I mean, that's see, you're falling into this whole stereotype that all of these wines that are produced and they, right. there are there are a lot of bad fruit wines and well, that's probably wine. that's certainly true in California as well. It's you know, I mean, right. it's not exactly right. And, you know, in, in the Finger Lakes, they're not just making Manischewitz, right? They're making some really delicious dry racy rieslings yeah but for every for every producer that's making what you just said there's also 50 producers that are making horseshit that's a, what is california what no. is the central valley right but there you, in those places you have a critical mass of quality producers like why are you going to get right. on a plane and fly to syracuse new york for two I'll say that right now with Arizona, I really love where the wine scene is at in the sense that I feel like it's so experimental and there's so much, um, yeah, ex experimenting with what works and what doesn't. I mean, we have two AVAs in the state for crying out loud. There's still a lot to explore. And I think it's really fun right now more than anything. That's totally, I think that's a really great point. I think any region that wants to, you know, increase what it's doing needs to understand what works and what doesn't and be willing to let go. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember Arizona 10 years ago, but a lot of people were trying to make Cabernet and Chardonnay and doesn't, yeah. doesn't work. People need to let go, of, let go of those ideas and be like, what actually does work? Right. I think that's happening. Right. But in, yeah, I'm saying other, other states need to figure it out too. Right. I mean, maybe right. Michigan is more of a Schweigelt state than it is a, you know, Cabernet State. I think, be I think before all these states look at distribution nationwide, they need to look at capturing their local market and making their own population, you know, ecstatic about their wine scene. I think a lot and of these places already have, dude. I mean, Arizona's that way. Um, you can, I don't know if you guys have Arizona wine on your list, but you can go to multiple restaurants in Arizona and find Arizona wine. There are enough producers. I think if you go to Michigan, there's a lot of Michigan wine. You go to Long Island, Right. I mean, you will probably get a lot of like stuff from North Fork. So I don't know. So that's just a just just a, a hope for me. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Troy said, which is there needs to be a judgment of Paris moment for these smaller states. Um, or, yeah. And, that, and that, that's what's really going to drive it. Right. If you have a blind tasting of wines from around the country, um, comparing them side by side so that, you know, and blind. Right. So that. People don't discount a wine because it's from Pennsylvania, 
or wherever. Okay, so sorry, we'll move on. My next one is that I want, I was thinking, what bridal do I want to be the next Cabernet Sauvignon, right? The next big thing, at least for my generation, what's that going to be? I want it to be Grenache. I like that. I want it to be Grenache. I love Grenache. I think that you get some of the best value uh, Grenache out of Spain. Um, you can get amazing Grenache from Arizona. You can get amazing Grenache from Australia. Sorry, Jeffers. Um, this, the south of France. I mean, I love Grenache. It's versatile. It can be light. It can be heavy. It can take oak, but it's fantastic without it. I mean, that's the grape that I think I'm going to champion in my career, right? What's that one well, variety? I'll say when I'm celebrating a gigantic event, like a like a wedding or a retirement, the first grape that I want to celebrate with is Grenache. And I hope that my psalm recommends Australian Grenache. Oh, my God. Hey, I just pulled on a, a Look. called Gomez Cruzado Grenache, Pan Crudo, and it's fucking delicious. It's amazing that Grenache can be, it can be CDP. It can be yeah. Arizona Grenache. It can be Grenache, and it can be in a blend like Clopisara with Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah and still shine. I, I, Grenache is the way. I, I love just it. Uh, want to probe. I don't have the data right in front of me, but I'm going to go ahead and say that Grenache already is Cabernet in terms of worldwide volume of production. Uh, yeah, no, I think I'm thinking of more about domestic consumption. That's a good point. <clears throat> yeah. I want someone to go out and think to order a glass of Grenache or to get a bottle of Grenache because it kind of, in a, in the, at least the market that we operate in, it's probably different from New York or, or California, it gets thrown into the junk drawer reds, right? It doesn't always get its own category on a wine list. So, any who's it? Yeah, it is in my off the cuff reds page. <laughs> Everything you do is off the cuff. And then my last one is boring. It's it's just consumer education. You know, I was thinking about sommelier snobbery. And it's like, how do you eliminate the egotistical sommelier? You raise consumer education because when you narrow that gap of knowledge, then the sommeliers are going to be successful are the ones that are the most hospitable, right? Not the egotistical ones. So take away, I think I want to minimize the power dynamic a little bit. Um, and I don't know how you do that, whether it's online or through direct-to-consumer education programs or or what. People have to start caring. And so I hope that that's a trend. We should move think, on to Jeffers. I think the way we do that is to uh, Troy's point and just let consumers sit for CMS exams. Okay, we are moving on. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my five are not in particular order, but uh, just kind of the way they came to my brain. One is, uh, so we talked earlier about return to normalcy, but one normalcy that I don't want to return to, I think um, 2020 obviously saw the huge increase in um, retail sales of wine, partly obviously because restaurants were closed. Um, but I think that's done uh, a couple things. And one of the things that it's done is while Obviously, Total Wine has never had a better year. Um, it is buoying uh, small retail shops. And I think we are probably only five years past um, the episode where people were foretelling the death of the small wine shop, right? Because of BevMo and, um, and Total Wine. And I think 
this kind of resurgence in retail has led to a lot of uh, small retail shops opening and small retail shops uh, doing better and having you know more opportunity to get us great different wines that are not imported by Alfio Marconi. I love that. Um, my second is increase in white varieties um, in restaurants in and bars and shops. Um, I think the fact that there's we're getting away from it. I've noticed it recently. Uh, obviously, I'm not traveling to other cities like I would be, but I'm seeing a, a lot of it here and on wine lists that I read about and articles that I've read about is getting beyond the idea that there's only Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Pinot Grigio. You know, that there's Colorado and Falangina and, you know, just these really amazing wines, Viura even, um, that we never saw as BTG options as like go-to white wines. And I would love to see um, that trend continue that we get away from just the, you know, the big three of white varietals. Yes, I want more Chocolina on menus. Sure, love that. And, yeah. you know, Verde and whatever, it, as long as it's good. Uh, the next is kind of just weird. It's uh, the death of the chonker bottle. I think I've seen a few producers getting away from just using glass for glass sakes to make their wines seem like they have some kind of gravitas because your bottle, you can't tell the difference between an empty bottle and a heavy bottle. They use so much glass to make it. Um, I've seen a couple producers um, in California and Washington get away from that and go back to a much thinner, um, much lighter glass container. And I would love to see that continue, not just from a, you know, environment perspective, but also from a doesn't fit in my wine cellar perspective. That's hilarious. Uh, I, so love, I would that. love to get rid of that. And, you know, who can go suck an egg is Turley. Um, <laughs> Oh, not that no, I don't love their wines mistake. for certain things, but good it's iconic. Hey, they make, they make amazing, something great. It's beautiful. They make amazing old vine Cinso. Sure. Oh, but I'd love to try it. Bottle in any cellar or on any shelf. Anyway, that's true. Um, next, I want to see, and this is completely personal and selfish. I would like to see cool climate Pinot from other old world regions start to become. Uh, come to the forefront. I think Burgundy has been expensive for a long time. I don't think tariffs helped at all. Um, but I would love to see, you know, Pinot Noir from, you know, Piedmont from uh, Alto Adige, from Baden in Germany, from uh, Sancerre, from lots of places. That is, um, in my mind, for my palate, just as great. Um, at least when you consider the price um, and just like to see it more widely available. I love, I am all on board. I think there are some German Pinot Noirs. You gave them, you give them to me blind. I'll tell you that they're Burgundy. They're so good. So and there's a lot of it. I think there's a lot of it out there. I, you know, I think it's a failure on the part of some of our importers and some of our distributors that we don't see more of it. And unfortunately the ones that I do see here are, are, really at the high end like i don't think bringing in you know 15 cases of grossest of x is the way to get people in <laughs> it's just you, you i don't think you can break down um i don't think you can break down the you can i don't think you can break down barriers 
to entry with you know two hundred dollar bottle of Pinot Noir. Anyway, um, and it gets away from the idea of of cheapening Pinot anyway. So, uh, and last is and I put this uh, if you guys scroll up in our chat window, um, you'll see a picture that I posted and it's a the back label of Domaine uh, Doncrelet Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, and my trend here is that I would love to see more producers putting more information about um, how their wine is made and what's actually what you're actually drinking on the label. Um, I don't think we should wait for, nor do I even want, um, government mandated um, like ingredient requirements, qu- content requirements, residual sugar requirements, because not only will it not come, but it will also be done wrong when it does. Yeah. Um, what I would like to see is producers kind of just jumping to the forefront and putting more information on their wine. So for those of you who aren't in our chat window, um, the back label of Domaine d'Ancrelet has the exact breakdown of what grapes are in the wine. It has the um, region of origin of each of the grapes. It has um, the fermentation type. It has uh, the fact that it's not chaptalized in any way. It has the um, the um, sweetness level. It has just a ridiculous amount of um, cool information that I think Psalms would love. I think consumers would love, and I think it's a great way to educate consumers. Which goes back to Laura's point: is you know, I think people would really be turned off if they knew how much residual sugar or how much you know additives were in some of their wines. And I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great way to get people educated and choosing wines that are made in a, you know, objectively quality way. You bring up an interesting point about should more EU wines label varietally? I mean, think about like Italian and, and, and French wines. I think that what you see right here with it's a Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier on the on the back label. It doesn't have to necessarily be on the front, but I think this is 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 amazing for the American market. Alsace has done a pretty good job of that. I've always appreciated it. Alsace, and you see varietal labeling uh, other places too. I mean, as a unified yeah. labeling um, strategy in the region, though. Yeah, I, it's just it, this is like such a. It's so French to say. You know, I'm not going to put the varietal on the label because this is Sancerre, and everyone knows that in Sancerre we grow Sauvignon Blanc. And if you don't know that we grow Sauvignon Blanc in Sancerre, well, you should because we're Sancerre. So, I this is awesome. More information, the better. And I think you're right, Jeffers. I don't think it takes government mandates for something like this to to take off. All it takes is consumers demanding it, and then wineries will be more apt to do it. Yeah. Well, I also, yeah, well, I, I would argue that the consumers, as long as they're uh, operating with ignorance, don't realize how many additives can be in wine, right? So it yeah. takes certain producers uh, just taking the lead on that. And right. hopefully people are like, wow, that's kind of cool. I wish other people did that and and then moves the market that direction. Right. Because, it's you know, so many people don't see wine as an agricultural product. And that really right. infuriates it's- me. And, you know, if they if all of these young green-minded people knew that Apothic Red was the wine equivalent of a McDonald's mass-produced chicken nugget, then maybe they wouldn't drink it. But 
I'm hungry now. Anyway. Dude, chicken nuggies, <laughs> baby. We that should, sounds delicious. We should move on to Daniel. No, have... I'm still not ready. No, I was just listening. Okay. So. Okay. Well, we've all gone <laughs> except okay. for you. So that's fine. You don't have well, to we go. We can sit I, here we'll just... for hours. Yeah, I, you... I was thinking of being background and just interjecting. So <laughs> Your trend is... Your trend is returning to normalcy, so I'll take that. So yeah. then let's move into this mystery tasting. I was generous enough to get all of you a Christmas gift. Mm. <laughs> so what is, not- the, what is with the like s- sinister giggle at the end of that? <laughs> no, I think sure. you have an idea of what this past- is. So please go ahead and open your bottles. I love hearing all the brown bags on the background. Do you do you all know what these are? Did you get some bright sellers wines? These are bright sellers wines. I could tell by the name of my wine that it was that it was that it was bright sellers. Oh, I was I was gonna blind it. I still don't see what the wine is. Open. Wait, you haven't opened the back. Well, I just ripped the top off and I'm pulling the cork without exposing the wine. I thought that's all right. I'll just I'll just take the fucking bag off. Okay. And also, in before Troy starts dumping wine in his glass on the microphone. <laughs> this, is, this is a little bit uh, anticlimactic, but yes, I bit the bullet and I paid Bright Sellers sixty something dollars to get six bottles of wine, and we're gonna taste them for you. Right I'm now, sur- so I'm surprised that they even sold to you after knowing how bad you shit on them. And I did it. I did it under a. Oh, under no. a, I did it under no. a fame. <laughs> no, I already am not interested. Oh, I God. got. I gave Daniel the worst one. <laughs> this is not. Did you get cactus okay. park chardonnay? So no, I no, got I didn't... called Batik. Did you get pet net? <laughs> what did you get? Sm- it's Moscato, but it has no floral notes. Dude, this taste, it just smells like lazy. It smells so neutral and lazy. It, ha- it has no bridal character. That's crazy. It's from Mendocino. Oh, so you're, you're, jump, you're jumping ahead a little bit. So, um, yes. So I'm going to tell you guys my experience in getting this box of wine because it was god awful. It was terrible. So I got onto the website and I took the quiz for maybe the hundredth time at this point. And of course I got different wines every time, even though I put in the same answers. Um, And I started, so I ordered, it's really a subscription where I would be getting a case every month or every three months or every six months. And that was the last thing I wanted. So I was planning on just getting the one case and then saying, hey, I want to cancel. I want out. I just want to get this one for the holidays. So I get the I get the order in and they've got me lined up for the next couple months. And so I was texting. It's you text someone uh, through support if you want to cancel and things like that. So I, I text support and I say, hey, you know, I, I just want to cancel. I just wanted to get this one box for Christmas. I don't want anything else. The guy... I'm clearly talking to someone. I don't think it was a robot because he he was texting me quite a bit. He's texting me back and forth and it's like 10, 20 text messages of what can we do to keep you? Why don't you want this? Like just berating me for wanting to cancel. And I was like, dude, I just 
I just want to cancel. And finally, I get them to cancel it. I got a confirmation email. And then a couple days go by of silence. And then I get another text from this guy. And he goes, hey, pseudonym, I, I heard that or I saw that you wrote a, a bad review about us. You know, uh, can you tell me what I did wrong? And so I can improve my customer service. I didn't write a review. I didn't write anything. I didn't give them a star rating. I didn't nothing. And, and I texted back. I go, I didn't write a review. And he goes, oh, oh, my mistake then. Do you mind getting on and maybe writing me a positive review if oh. you liked your experience? And I was like, I, I, I've canceled. Delete my number. Delete my email. Please stop talking to me. So then a couple more days go by. I start getting email after email after email about more specials that they're doing. They're coming out with the sparkling. They're doing this. They're doing that. How do I get off of this? Because it has gotten out of control. I talk to the bright sellers people more than I talk to my own family at this point. It's absolutely ridiculous. The one thing I will give them, though, is the wine got to an undisclosed location very quickly. And the packaging was great. It came in a beautiful box. The color was great. And every bottle of wine came with a little card that had uh, tasting notes on it, which I put in all of your bags. Do you, do you uh -oh. have those? Let me look. I was too busy drinking. This looks like a tarot card. <laughs> um, and so they... I could make they, a whole deck of these, like uh, so <laughs> Wizards of the Coast or something. It's, it's, the packaging was really great. So I got six bottles of wine. It was about $10 a bottle. Um, and it was a mixture of a lot of different things. So I picked the wines for each of you individually, just based off of who you are as people. So. Oh, wow. You see, wow. You see Daniel as being bland and having no varietal characteristic. Yes. <laughs> Should I pour now? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and taste it for us. And what is your tarot card okay. say? Well, it, it honestly looks like I haven't had water for about four weeks. It's the color. Um, man, this wine makes a uh, turn from the 80s look like it was bottled recently. Okay, on the nose. Um. I would assume there's a high proportion of Pinot Grigio on this wine because it looks like nothing. It smells like nothing. Let's see what the taste is. Acid's medium. Um, my tarot card says it's lifted acidity, so I don't know if I'm <laughs> supposed to lift it up later. Uh, there is a high proportion of phenolic bitterness in this wine, and due to the color, this might have a heavy dose of skin contact. Alcohol is 13.5 on my tarot card. Oh, God. <laughs> However, I get a one and a half leeway according to the TTB, so I'm going to go 15% because I'm breathing <laughs> fire. Whoa. Um, 
says this wine is supposed to go with soft ripened cheese, chicken cordon bleu, and colorful sunsets. <laughs> I think the wine has already set on this, or the uh, the sun has already set on this. It has a lot of oysters on it, but this wine would be horrific with oysters. Mm. What else can I say about this wine? It says full-bodied. I'll, I'll give them that. Full-bodied with 13.5 alcohol and lifted acidity. That seems congruent. Yeah. Um, I think the best part about this wine is the screw cap. It was easy to open, but easier to close. Wait, here's the real question. How many bright points does it get? Well, which is really confusing because on my tarot card, it says rate this wine and it gives stars, not points. So congruency failure. I'm going to have to give this. uh, hmm. (laughs) This is confusing. Here, let me phrase it this way. If this is what Arizona has to compete with, they are going to crush it. (laughs) I'll give it half a bright point star. Half a bright point on a scale of 100. (laughs) All right. Uh, Who has has the other white wine? Okay. Uh, Daniel. Yeah. Talk to us about your your wine. I know you already said it was Moscato, but... It, yeah, it's Moscato. You know, I do get a touch of florals. I think you can't really evade that, but it's, it is not pretty. I, I don't want to shit on it too hard, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> it has, but I don't, it's just weird. Lead based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. Well, I'll read the card. It says, uh, everything you want in a Moscato. This wine shows dessert-level sweetness with ripe, almost candied fruit flavors. Um, I feel like I deserve this wine from you. I understand why I got it. But this I'm is what you get for being it. late. <laughs> I, I'll give it 100 for sticker confirming the, the bias we had towards it. It's... It's exactly what we thought it would be. I don't think the so, point system nailed based it. on is this as horrible uh, well, as you assume me. Well, you know, we're, these are arbitrary points. Or two points. I don't even to rate the damn thing. It's interesting to say that. Okay, we are moving on. Sure. So I have a Jetbird Malbec from North Coast. Uh, and my tarot card on the front, The this is, I guess, the the marketing side as opposed to the informational side. It looks like um, if uh, Breitling watches had tried to make a uh, a wine, that's kind of like it's <laughs> it's kind of a weird Da Vinci kind of thing, and it's weird. Um, What's it called? I'm going to look the label up. It's called Jetbird Malbec. Jetbird not, Malbec. Not Shitbird Malbec, but Jetbird Malbec. Maybe they'll rebrand after they listen to this. Oh my god, they don't listen to this. Um, the fruit, the flavor characteristic icons that I have are raspberry, 
blackberry, cherry, and vanilla. So no mention of blue fruit at all, which is interesting for Malbec. So I'm going to try the nose. And uh, my wife was smart enough to provide me with a spit cup um, <laughs> when she heard what was going on, which I appreciate. Um, on the nose, there is a, actually a substantial amount of blue fruit, so I don't know how the, uh, the wizards at uh, Bright Cellars missed that. Because it does smell like uh, if you had put too much cinnamon sugar in your blueberry pie. Uh, I would describe the fruit characteristic as very overripe. Mm. Whoops, perceptible RS. Uh, and this wine is 14.5. Holy shit. Which, um, once again, I'm going to ask Jean Antoine Chaptal how you got 14.5% and residual sugar. But the serving temperature. Recommendation, I think, is odd for my wine. It says 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit, which I feel like a lot of the flaws would kind of be diminished if you served it just a little chillier than that, like around 50. Um, because I think mine is actually close to, I brought it out of the cellar right before this podcast. And uh, so I think it's probably like uh, high 50s, which there's already a noticeable amount of poor winemaking here so i don't i love that this was in your cellar bringing it up to temperature well i i didn't hey, you have this in your cellar but not early oh come on dude. <laughs> this bottle is much easier uh, the shape is is much more conducive to fitting in the cellar so how many bright points does this get from you um i'm giving i'm gonna give it 60 and i think the reason is that there's no reason that you couldn't um, reduce this into a sauce to put over ice cream. Uh, what's better, this or a red schooner? Uh, I am more uh, philosophically opposed to red schooner. No way. <laughs> How is that possible? Um, you, please elaborate. Right now, it's a good thing there are no open flames near me because the alcohol is <laughs> really intense on this wine. I think the 14.5 might be, they might just not know that there are numbers higher than that because I can feel it in my chest and it's hurting me a little bit. Just wow. going to turn into a Bunsen burner. All right, last sip. Um, yeah, I'm going to take it back down to 55. <laughs> it gets lower every time. <laughs> I don't know how, but there actually is, I think, moderate plus acidity on this wine. Yeah. Like so the North Coast Malbec? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say. I have to say that the um, this wine would be, I think, perfect for serving in a coach on Spirit Airlines. Oh, my God. <laughs> the label looks amazing like it it's looks like they really spent most of the money on this wine on the the graphic design of the label i feel like this well fleet that i'm drinking and spitting could be used as the gasoline <laughs> to fuel spirit airlines you know i feel like mine has a place on on a business class of delta oh my god we're rating it by <laughs> <laughs> all right um well, I guess one of the reasons I don't fly Delta. Oh exactly. Yeah. 
mine might be a contender for United. So I have meat cute California Merlot. Meat cute? How do you spell meat? <laughs> How do you think? M E. I mean, okay, all right. And so there's a, a drawing of a kind of like a 1920s looking woman on the front, and I assume that she's cute, and I'm I'm meeting her. <laughs> I don't know how to interpret the name or the label. Um, mine's just California. So I'm not from the North Coast. I'm from all over the place. And um, I'm a bad podcast member because I did, in fact, lose the tarot card for this. <laughs> but uh, I can tell you what it says on the back. It says, ready to get swept off your feet? Question mark. Meet your oh, match God. in this timeless, timeless California Merlot. With the notes of strawberry, black cherry, and chocolate, it's love at first sip. Uh, we're looking at 14.5% alcohol, and it was cellared and bottled by Meat Cute Wines <laughs> in Santa Rosa. And if you look at the back of all of our bottles, it says that they're bottled and cellared by whoever, well, whether it's Wellfleet or Jetbird, in Santa Rosa. So these are clearly all being made at the same processing plants. <laughs> this so is why laws exist. Don't be fooled that Meat Cute is an actual winery that's not owned by Bright Sellers, but I'll go ahead and taste this begrudgingly. While you're tasting, is Cute spelled with a C or a K? <laughs> I it's did a, go to the awesome meatcutewines.com slash wines, and it is like all of the other Bright Sellers fake really? sites. Yep. Wow. I thought Except they, they, they do have other wines. They have a Cab and a Chardonnay which I don't know if it's just the color on the website, but the color is wrong. What do you mean the Chardonnay. color is wrong? Uh -huh. well, is it red? No, not wrong like that. Oh, okay. That was just, a, I was say, that's a gross oversight. It's, I don't think Chardonnay should ever be done in like a greenish gold bottle. Oh, yikes, yeah. Anyway. So, um, right off the bat on the nose, this smells like a jug wine, right? Where it's, there's, there's fruit that's, um, not easily identifiable. It's, it's assuming that they're pulling these grapes from all over. There's probably a lot of Miller and Dodge, a lot of, uh, vines that are not well kept. They're clearly not dropping clusters <laughs> or doing anything like that. So you're getting ripe fruit and also some unripe and also a lot of overripe red black and blue i you know they say chocolate there's probably oak chips used here they're certainly not aging this in new oak right certainly yeah, not i'll go ahead and, and taste let me pour myself some more mm. <laughs> Don't spit take on your microphone. Okay, uh, wine is dry, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's definitely perceptible RS here. Certainly not off dry. And the palate is just gone. I've lost <laughs> it. It's only been, I mean, finish is short minus. Brew kind of stays the same. There's some acidity to it. There's barely any tannin. 
this this guys this tastes like if you were to get like a giant box of like red francia seriously that that's what this is this is a drug wine i mean it's not if i didn't know anything about wine i i don't think i'd i'd throw it away i think that's probably true across the board on their wines right and I, I think the biggest takeaway here is that these are all jug wines that they are branding to you as non-jug wines. Yeah, it's a marketing gimmick, and it might be working. But based on the the sort of weird insecurity of the AI system you talked to, I can't maybe tell, not as successful I can't as tell if that was AI or not, because they were so pushy, and I'm getting these long text messages about their special reserve sparkling, which... Maybe I'll get. I'll get. <laughs> I mean, but here's the thing: we're we're crapping a lot on bright sellers, but at the end of the day, right? Who really wins? Mm -hmm. They got sixty dollars, and I got six bottles of drug wine. So, <laughs> I think you just figured something out, what? guys. So, on your tarot cards, do you have little pictures of different fruits? Yeah. yeah. So I have a lemon, a yellow apple, a pineapple, and a papaya. Do you think this wine is made from grapes, or do you think it's made from these fruits? <laughs> I think this is malt liquor. It doesn't say one way or the other. Yours is a white blend, so you have no idea. Yeah. So uh, here's a, 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 also something I thought was funny. In the Bright Cellars box, there's a card. And so the level of wine expert you are is dependent on how many bottles you buy. So your first case, you're a novice. Then your second case, you're kind of like a developing wine professional. And then by the time you've bought way more Bright Cellars wines than anyone in the world should, you're technically a wine expert. And so this guy that I was texting, this AI was supposed to be my personal concierge, I guess. Mm. Um, but here's the thing. If anyone from Bright Cellars is listening... Say it. <laughs> say it. No, never mind. No, I'll say it for you. Fuck you. Oh, oh, that was <laughs> not what I was going to say. <laughs> <Take it out. laughs> no, that's absolutely staying in. Um, so what would I have this wine with? Um, maybe like, oh, never mind. I'm getting too mean. Regret? I'm too ramped up. Yeah, we're That's serious. actually on my pairings Serious card. Serious regret. Self-loathing. Oh yeah, what did your pairings? <laughs> what did your pairings say, Jeffers? Uh, mine said uh, blue cheese with fig jam, mm. skirt steak with chimichurri sauce, and backyard cookouts. None, none as whimsical as multicolored sunsets or whatever. Yeah, I like that one the best. I feel a little bit let down, actually. What were your pairings for the Moscato? Tres huh. leches cake, Korean barbecue wings, and a cozy brunch with friends. Those uh, are all so different. <laughs> so, I choose uncozy brunch with friends. Korean wings having, I guess they're thinking like off dry spicy, but anyway. What was this, Troy? My wine on the back of the bottle says pairs effortlessly with oysters on the half shell effortlessly and then yeah and so obviously it has oysters all over the uh, the bottle here but it also on that pairing card as i mentioned earlier chicken cordon bleu <laughs> so yeah you know thinking, light 
this is really a wine that you can pair a whole meal with, is what they're saying. Yeah, all of these wines are, are versatile. If you're ever having Korean wings and just luscious cake in the same meal. <laughs> when you say effortlessly, I think they put no effort into making this wine. <laughs> this, wine is, this wine is bad. <laughs> I'm going to give this negative two bright points out of 100. Hey, that's well-deserved. Congratulations, Red Sellers. It's really grapey, um, too, I want to mention. It's that is like, one of my least favorite it's like the, wine the, the, the Welch's has spoiled. That's essentially what that is. Indigenous yeast ferments. What was that? Indigenous yeast, you think? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Th these are all biodynamic, independently owned. I'm really, I'm, I don't know the word you want to use, upset that Man. this exists. I. Why do I feel like all four of us tried the exact same wine, just different <laughs> shades of color? Hey, my, mine's just the Moscato with food coloring in it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've said this before. Bright Cellars, it's not, a, it's not a scam, right? You pay money, you get wine, okay? But don't, don't be fooled. These are not high-quality wines. This organization cares nothing about educating you about actual wine. In fact, I think the whole each one of these is, is their own winery. I think that's kind of deceiving. I don't know. I if you want like a DTC um, wine club experience, there are other ways to go because you these wines are not worth ten dollars a piece. I'm sorry. These are these are literal jug wines that they put into glass. I have a difference tomorrow morning headache points. Because I'm going to give it a high score. I feel like between the residual sugar and the additives that are in this mm, wine. Jeffers, I won't have a headache because I will not be consuming any more of this wine. F, I just spilled. I just spilled meat cute Merlot all over my actual wine notebook. <laughs> oh my God. Hold on. This is a mess. You can't undo that. Yeah. Soiled forever. Well, all right. Well, that was a great conversation about our hopes for 2021. And um, we finally found out that we've confirmed Bright Cellars is garbage. We were speculating, and now you know. So, should we go leave a review? No. Oh, no. I might do it. Supposedly, I already left a bad review. These guys are, these guys are on one. They really are. These people don't know anything about wine. Closing the book. Okay. Full well, stop. I hope MIT, MIT <laughs> should uh, make a statement. Maybe revoke that guy's uh, degree. Look, and this is a long shot. If anyone who works for Bright Sellers or loves Bright Sellers listens to this podcast and wants to get on and, and talk to us, feel please email us. <laughs> yeah, please do. We would please love email to have us. You. We would love to have you on. <laughs> Right. No, this is this is all in good fun. They got my money. They're not losing out. You know, whatever. Okay, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for new episodes. Uh, the four of us are gonna be meeting to come up with some exciting ideas. And uh, yeah, Liquid Courage Podcast, the most opinionated and exciting wine podcast available to you on the internet, worldwide. Should I say global? I don't know. <laughs>
<laughs> the best prestige wine podcast worldwide. in the world. <laughs> prestige worldwide. The number one wine podcast in the world. All right, that's going to be it. Bye. Cut. You guys are going to say bye? Cut. Oh, sh I, shit. I forgot I say cut. Cut. <laughs> I was wow. waiting. I was playing through the whistle. I was waiting for the cut. I'm... I'm...